0: Well, you know when people are no good at anything else, they become writers. W. Somerset Mom, The Razor's Edge. Angry Typewriter, a podcast about writing and the writing life. I'm Paul. Today's episode is something of a ramble, and you'll understand why shortly. You also may hear some strange background noises at times, because today I'm in the super-secret annex of the writing lair, the only place in the continental United States that still allows smoking. Today's something of a ramble, because at midnight tonight, Camp NaNoWriMo starts. I talked about this in a previous episode, and NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. What it means for me personally, is that at 12.01, I'll finally start writing book four of the Last Word series. After months of scribbles and thoughts and just generally putting it off. Even today, when I should be gathering notes and working on outlines and clearing my writing space, I'm doing a podcast. Earlier today, I spent a fair amount of time watching YouTube videos of teens reacting to early 2000s pop punk songs. As I've said many times, writers are more easily distracted than Cocker Spaniel puppies. If you listen to the very first episode of this podcast... I also said something else that I'm going to contradict a little bit here. I said that I don't have a writing process, and that's not really true. Hell, everybody's got a process of some kind when they write. The question is how much they stick to it over time, how disciplined they are, and whether they keep at it if it works for them we're not just procrastinators, we're also excellent self-saboteurs. So what is my process? Well, that depends on whether I'm writing flash fiction, a short story, a novel, an essay, or even a screenplay. But it really starts the same way pretty much regardless of the form. I wish I could say I was like Hemingway who used to write until he knew what the next line was going to be and then stop so that he always knew where to pick up again the next day or even like JK Rowling who would plot out just intricate maps of where the story was going to go, not just for each individual book but for the entire Harry Potter series. That's extremely helpful if you're writing a series because then you can put foreshadowing in book one of things that are going to happen in book five. I'm just not that disciplined. For the most part, my writing is what I would call episodic, which is just a fancy way of saying I write in scenes. A lot of times I don't know where it's going to go. And the scene I write today might end up being in the middle of the book, might be at the end, might end up being the first chapter. There's just no way to know at the outset. But that first episode is what jumpstarts me. I'll give you an example. The following is a piece of flash fiction that I wrote years ago that was published in an Australian magazine. The antique street lamps along Houston Street cast an eerie glow filtered through the rain that arrived after closing time, thumping against the tinted glass display windows at the front of the shop. The light, however, illuminates nothing and the rain drenches no one. The streets are empty. Inside the shop, Sal Terranova leans back against the front checkout counter The receiver of an ancient rotary phone rests on his shoulder, an unlit cigarette dangling absently from his lips. Yes, sir, he says into the phone. I'm quite familiar with the book. It is, after all, a classic. He pauses while the person on the other end of the phone speaks. Yes, I understand we say we can find any book for any customer. The store motto is etched in the glass on the front window, after all there's another long pause. Yes sir, if you're willing to pay the price, it's typically not that difficult to find a signed Hemingway. There's a longer pause while the caller speaks more loudly. Again, I'm sorry to say, there simply are no signed copies of A Moveable Feast available anywhere. This time, the pause is much shorter. Because it was published three years after Hemingway died, Long pause. Yes, sir, I'm quite certain. After yet another pause, Sal gently places the telephone receiver back in its cradle. The caller is hung up. Sal laughs out loud in the empty store as he turns to watch the rain outside grow heavier. A signed copy of *A movable Feast. It was a crazy request, of course, but then he had seen more than a few crazy things. Since he went from burglar to bookseller. Now the idea for that story actually came during an online search. When I was looking for a signed book. And I saw a movable feast signed edition listed for sale. And I sure hope no one bought it. In any case, that's what sparked the idea for the story. And I have to say that the version I had just read, which came from chapter one of Writer in Residence, really didn't resemble the original version. The original version was written in the first person. The character wasn't a burglar. Little details like that were changed as time went on. But that story just bounced around in my mind for a long time because although it was really nothing more than a one-page episode flash fiction after all has to be under a thousand words I felt like there was more there when the idea for a former burglar becoming a bookseller fully formed in my head I pitched it to a friend of mine and we originally started writing it as a TV series Again, episodes. That didn't work out, so I changed it over to a screenplay. Again, did not work, although I do hope someday the books might become a movie. In the end, all the combined episodes that I wrote just made more sense as a novel. That's why the chapters aren't particularly long because they're scenes but they became scenes that woe together to tell a complete story that story became the last word and ultimately the last word series this process has worked for me through three books and will hopefully continue to work starting again at 12.01 but there is a downside to it I'll be the first to admit When you write in episodes, you've got a lot of stuff left over that just doesn't fit anywhere. That can be helpful because something you wrote for book one may fit in book five. Or it may end up being its own story completely with the characters changed, the setting changed, whatever. Don't ever, ever throw anything you write away. No matter how bad it is. Because it will be bad. It doesn't get good. Until you start the rewriting process. It is difficult however. To have a scene that you really love. That just doesn't fit. In what you're working on. That's when having a good editor. Comes into play. Because your editor. Isn't nearly. As emotionally attached to it as you are. And they can tell you flat out. This doesn't work here. Writers need that. Because we get attached to our characters, to our scenes, to everything we do. Like they're our children. So that's one part of the process. When we come back, I'll give you another. Another. second part of my writing process that I want to talk about today and one that's often overlooked is the technical side which is simply put the act of getting the words from my brain onto the paper while some people are totally committed to how they do their first drafts whether it be writing it in a notebook or on loose leaf paper or typing it on a manual typewriter or using their computer, I am not nearly as monogamous as that when it comes to the technical side of my writing. My preference is to handwrite the first draft, whether it be in a moleskin notebook, or a spiral, or a legal pad. I particularly like legal pads because since I do write episodically, When I finish that episode, I can tear the sheets off, staple them together, write a tentative title at the top, and stick it to the side. Then I go on to the next one. Later, I'll put it all together like a jigsaw puzzle, work on transitions, things like that. This also helps me with the timeline aspect of it, because I can easily see where the gaps are. The other advantage, for me at least, to writing by hand on a legal pad, is that when I'm writing by hand, I tend to write very fast. I don't think about it. It's your classic stream of consciousness. I'm not editing myself as I go, which is the thing you should never do when you're writing a rough draft. You want to just get everything on the page that you can get. There's plenty of time to go back, edit, rewrite, chop, whatever. This then happens when I type up the second draft. I can do my editing then without any fear of choking off, for lack of a better word, the creative side. Boy, I cringe when I say that. The only downside to the legal pad process is I'm not the most organized person in the world and therefore I don't always keep things together as I should and have on more than one occasion found what I consider to be a really good scene buried under a pile of bills or junk mail months after I started the rewrite process. It's a danger. Now, there's one very specific time when I simply cannot use the pen and paper method. And that's when I'm doing, as I'm about to, one of the National Novel Writing Month events. As I've said before, the goal, whether it's National Novel Writing Month in November, or Camp NanoRiMo in April or July, is to complete 50,000 words in a 30-day period. That's a great jump start for both new writers and people who've been writing forever. It gives you very specific goals, which writers need, and keeps you focused, which they also need. But it won't work with pen and paper simply because one of the best parts about it is keeping track of your word count. Maybe if I could type faster, I could write it first and then type it up and therefore keep track of the word count. But I can't. And I do have a tendency to edit when I type. That probably comes from years of typing up emails and then reading back over them, realizing that I really need to change some of what I said. So for me, NaNoWriMo is a constant struggle to not let my inner editor take over while I'm typing. It's not my favorite way of doing things, but I've found that the balance between fighting the inner editor and actually getting 50,000 words done in a short period of time is worth the struggle. I have considered the idea of still writing it by hand and then going back and counting the words at the end of each day, but that's such a pain and I'm just not that committed. Having said that though, I could always do a rough average of each day count my average number of words per line than the number of lines on each sheet. Hmm. I might actually try that this year just to see how it goes. And I just thought of one other downside to the writing by hand and then typing the second draft. You have to be able to read your own writing. And it can be a pain being essentially transcriptionist for 50,000 to 75,000 words I guess all life is a series of trade-offs there's one more aspect of my process that I want to discuss when we come back part of my writing process that I want to talk about today. is one that I imagine all writers struggle with. The place where they write. It would be great to have a dedicated room just for writing, like Neil Gaiman and Stephen King do. Or even better, a totally separate rented room Like Hemingway had in Paris in the 1920s. But for most of us that's just not reasonable. Most of us have to fight for a space that's free of distractions and comfortable at the same time. One place that I like to write, especially using the pen and paper method, is at the library. I talked about this in pretty great detail in an earlier podcast. However, Since most libraries aren't open 24 hours, it doesn't always work with your schedule. And although I disparaged it quite a bit in that same episode, writing in coffee shops is an option. If you're going to do that, however, please use the pen and paper method rather than bringing your laptop and taking up half of a table forcing other people to either sit outside or go home. And again, even Starbucks isn't usually open 24 hours. In the end, the only consistent place we have, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where we can write, is the place where we live. Finding a writing space within that place is gonna depend heavily on your living situation. going to look very different for a single person than it will for someone who's married with 10 kids. In fact, if you've got 10 kids, maybe you should be writing more and doing other things less. Over the years, the place that I have found is best for my writing is, of all things, the kitchen table. It's large enough to spread notes out on, doesn't have the distractions that you might have at a desk that you also use for other things. You just have to make sure to throw out that empty pizza box before you start. At varying times and with varying projects, I like to write early in the morning and edit late at night, or conversely, write late at night and edit early in the morning. But for the most part, I tend to do rough drafts early in the morning before the day starts. After work, after a long day, your muse can be kind of tired. Once you're set up at your space, as I am at the kitchen table, a couple very important things turn off the Wi Fi. Put your phone in another room unplug the television whatever it takes to not be distracted for me another kind of odd advantage to writing at the kitchen table is that at the end of each writing session i clear everything away then when i start again the next day everything's new it's a clean slate which we need each new day. Some people like music in the background, while others have to have complete silence when they write. For me, it can go either way. Although, if I am listening to music, it almost always has to be instrumental. Because in my stream of consciousness style, I once found myself having simply transcribed the lyrics to Born to Run in the middle of the scene. You'll find your best spot over time, whether it's the kitchen table or your desk or the laundry room, whatever it takes. I just thought of another part of my writing process that probably belonged more in the first segment of this podcast. I suppose I could record it and then edit it back into that part, but that would take away from me writing, right? Anyway, when I'm first writing an episode, it tends to be very heavy on dialogue and light on description. Partly because dialogue writes faster in the same way that it reads faster. For me, it's just easier at the outset to let the voices in my head babble on and go back later and describe where they are than the other way around. For you it may be totally different but that works for me anyway that's the ramble for today if you've hung on with me to the end i hope it's been beneficial that there's maybe been something that you can apply to your own writing or that at the very least it's been entertaining regardless the goal is still the same get to writing I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Angry Typewriter. I hope it's been both informative and entertaining, especially for you writers out there. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'd also consider clicking on the support this podcast link on the anchor site for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep these episodes coming and it will also go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free thanks again